while we're in this, uh, um, our, our journey on reset, uh, all around resetting our assumptions, our ideas and understandings of who Jesus is. And first week we looked at the historical uh, veracity as to the fact that Jesus lived. And we can be very, very confident when we read the authorized biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that that's actually what happened. You could disbelieve that that's relevant to your life, but we can have as much or more, way more trust in those documents and their veracity than any, any ancient document. In the second week, we looked at the difference between the way of Jesus and the way of any other religion or any other spirituality. Jesus' way is a unique way. We'll touch on that a bit more today. And then last week, we looked at how the key to coming to Jesus, growing greatness, is surrender. One little surrender at a time. And today we're going to see how Jesus reset love. Let's pray before I go any further. God, thank you for songs like the one that Robbie wrote and, and the ability to, to look at things that we're not going to be able to look at on talk radio or in the newspaper. And we're here to look at you today. And uh, no matter what our current spiritual orientation is or what our beliefs, I believe that everyone's here today because we're wanting more of you or wanting to know if you're real. And I pray that you would help us to see love in yourself as we may have never seen it before. And I pray these things according to your character, Jesus. Amen. Love, 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 love. Maybe the, one of the most loving things that ever happened to me is, is I was adopted. I was physically born October 1st, 1965, and then I was adopted. I'm, I'm reading a bit right now on adoption. I've never really done a lot of reading on it, just I'm trying to figure out some stuff about myself. And, and there's some uh, theories out there, actually maybe not theories, just ab actual conclusive clinical evidence now that would say that if you're adopted, uh, you might feel like your earliest relationship was one of abandonment, where someone left you. And perhaps that's true. Maybe that's why for me, I don't feel the way that I think others might feel, though I don't know exactly how others feel, but it looks like people feel more than I do. And maybe uh, that's part of my struggle with understanding love. Maybe there's something in the subconscious there. I'm still trying to get into that, but here's one thing I do know. I've always viewed my adoption as an unbelievable act of love. Richard and Eileen Tome, my only parents, adopted a couple months in, into, into this life, said, we want to come after you. We want to bring you into our family and everything we have is yours. We're going to give you things that you would have never had any other way, opportunities that you would have never had any other way, and even affirmation in ways that you wouldn't have had any other way. And I also believe my mother, who I believe was one night stand, as completely an act of love, she gave me up for adoption. I believe it was entirely an act of love. What is love? What is love? How, how do we know love exists? And, and I hear people say God is love. Everybody would say God is love. Oprah says God is love. Your neighbor says God is Everyone says, but yet how do we know that God is love? Where does that come from? Well, if you go to football games, there'll be that annoying person who hangs that religious sign that says John 3, 16. I don't know if you ever actually read that. It's in the Bible. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loves the world. He how, does he, how do we know he loves? That he gave. He physically and concretely gave his son. That's John 3.16. Now there's another book in the Bible called 1 John. In 1 John 3.16, look what it says in 1 John 3.16. It says, for, how, for this is how we know that what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
This is how we know what love is. Not because someone says it, not because somebody cries, not because there's tingles that go up and down their spine. This is how we know that God loves us because Jesus was given for us. What, what does that mean that Jesus was given for us? Well, what it means is all of us in here have a need for justice. If you got this when you, when you came in today, it says do not open. I hope you did not open it because the bird flu virus is inside of this. And if you did open it, then you will die in a matter of days. We've time-lapsed it. So if you actually did it earlier, no, don't open this yet. But um, well, what is it about some of us? We might have actually opened this. We might have disobeyed these instructions. Very simply, do not open. But yet we do that. What is it about when I see do not walk in the grass, I just have to put a foot on it? Why is that? What is it when I see wet paint do not touch that I, that I just don't believe it's wet and I have to touch it anyway? What, it, well, what is it about that, that, that thing that's rebellious inside of me that wants to do things I'm told not to do? Where, where does that come from? The Bible teaches that this comes from this condition of sin that I've inherited that goes way, 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 way back to family of origin called Adam and Eve. And all of us inherit this condition called sin where we, where we don't love. We don't look out for other people. We look out for ourselves. And we only give love when somebody does what we want them to do. We only give appreciation if somebody meets our needs and meets our expectations. Well, what do I do with, with all the ways that I don't meet God's expectations? What do I do with all those times that April 14th comes around? And many of us lie on April 14th. What do we do when there's a project to work and, 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 and it's us that we look out for and we don't share the credit? What is it? What happens when we talk about people negatively who are not currently there? We gossip about them. What, what is it when we, when we hurt people sexually, when we do things that shouldn't be done, when we hoard our money? What, what, what is to happen to all this? Now, other ways of other religions or other spiritualities would say, well, number one, you can ignore that evil exists. Evil doesn't exist. Sin doesn't exist. That's just a state of mind. That isn't real. Just ignore it. Of course, if someone says that and you punch them in the face and they say, oh, maybe that does exist. No, that's one way you can say it. Sin doesn't exist. Evil doesn't exist. Another way you can say it is no, it's based on, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, en uh, engrams, the Scientology talking about engrams. You just need to come against those, those things inside of your mind. Others would say, well, the way you come against your sin or the things that are wrong, the things that aren't right, is that you, you work it off. You have to balance the scales of fairness. You've got to do more good things in this life than you do bad things. And then if you die and you haven't done more good things and you get another shot at it, you get reincarnated and you come back again and you get the opportunity to kind of work that off. See, all of these different systems are ways for us to deal with the justice problem. We as human beings want justice. If you notice in the newspaper, there seems to be two things that dominate the headlines, the economy and justice issues. You know, it's like we're, we're fixated whether or not so-and-so is going to get their due in court or whether or not the mother is going to get this or that or whether or not Bernie Madoff and all of his family is hiding things or not, the greatest Ponzi scheme in the history of America. What's going to happen with them? Is justice going to be served? What's going to happen with the politician who's been giving way to um, all the bribes? or All this stuff. I mean, we're, we're constantly wanting justice. You know that we're the only created beings that want justice? I mean, elephants don't have elephant courts. That kangaroos don't even have kangaroo courts. They don't. You know, what happens? In, in the wild, it's purely, there's no sense of justice. There's no sense of love at all. It's survival of the fittest. You killed the young of somebody else. If you can get ahead, you get ahead. And the other elephants don't come around you and stample you, trample you, and make you kind of, you know, work off your thing. If you're strong, you get whatever you want. There's no sense of justice 
None at all, except for us. We create court systems. We create things like the death penalty. We create things like nooses, like firing squads, like prisons. The lions never create prisons. There's no gerbil prison. You know, well, well, why is it? It's because we, as being created in the image of God, we long for things that God longs for, and God longs for justice. So what is to happen with all of the crap that I have in my life and you have in your life? Well, you can do your own plan and just try to work it off. Or there is the love plan. The love plan. The plan of Jesus. The plan of Jesus, of Jesus living a perfect life as only God could and taking on all of our stuff. See, Jesus comes and he is fully God and fully man at the same time. He calls himself and is referred to as the Son of God. To refer himself as the Son of God means that in Jewish thought he is saying, I am God. That's why people wanted to stone him. They understood that he was not saying, I'm just another prophet, I'm not just another teacher. He would say things like, I and the Father are one. And the, and the Jews say, whoa, 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 you get, that, that, that's saying that you are God. And that's what well, today we still say that in some sense. We talk about the chip, chip off the old block. Jesus is declaring that he is God, that he is fully God, fully man at the same time. However, at the, at, given that, if you're fully man, you have abilities that transcend physical capacities because you're God. Yet at the same time, if you're God and you have physical capacities, you have some sense of limitation because you can't be omnipotent or omnipresent all places at all times because you have a, a physical dwelling. There's some mystery in the midst of that. But this is the greatest love story in the world, that God comes and crashes into the world to bring justice, to bring grace, to bring unmerited love. The great philosopher of our time, Bono, and the great singer, the great singer of our time also, in talking about this plan of grace, says this. It says, grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed. When I look at the cross of Christ, what I see up there is all my crapola and everybody else's. So I ask myself a question. A lot of people have asked, who is this man? And was he who he said he was, or was he just a religious nut? And there it is, and that's the question, and no one can talk you out of it, and no one can talk you into it. I'm going to do my best today to communicate what this means, how Jesus reset love, but ultimately I'm not going to be able to talk you out of it or into it. It's going to be something that is birthed in you and something you want or don't want. Some of us have maybe felt like God is very far and distant, and maybe he is. Maybe God is very, maybe you're not in the family of God. See, all of us as human beings, all of us uh, are created in the image of God, so we all have infinite value, infinite worth beyond anything else that's created. God cherishes us very much. Uh, but there is a difference between being loved, valued, cherished, being in the, in the image of God, and actually being a child of God. In the book of John, chapter 1, it says this. It says, and I'm jumping all around the video. People are having a hard time following me today. I'll look over on this screen. It'll be right there. John chapter 1. There it is. See, I told you. That's <laughs> uh, First John. <laughs> John chapter 1. It says, um, it says that to whomever, to whomever believes and receives, God gives them the right to be called children of God. Whoever believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the good news here is if God's been far, 
if, if you feel like God's been far away, maybe there's a whole new step, a whole new realm of existence of being in God's family that you've yet to receive, and it's pretty simple to receive. Sometimes people will um, criticize uh, us as a church or me or whoever because we don't have crosses that are all over the place. Um, we, and the reason is, is, is crosses are forms of execution. They're actually the most vilest form of justice that the human race has ever created. When we talk about the crux of the matter, we talk about the fulcrum points, we talk about the crucifixion. The crucifixion is the fulcrum point of all of human history. Jesus comes into the part of the world at the time of world history where all of world power was concentrated one place and one time and never happened before or never, never since. And God crashes into the world at that pivotal moment in history. And at that pivotal moment in history, it is also the time where the vilest form of execution that has ever been created happens. It's called the crucifixion. In fact, to talk about crucifixion back in the first century would be to talk about a profane matter, it would be to swear. In fact, crux, in, in essence, was a four-letter word. If you said, hey, did you hear that people got crucified? They're just, yeah, shh, shh, can't say that word. You can't say that word. It's so vile and so disgusting. You can't just toss around the, the concept of crucifixion. And yet, Jesus was crucified. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be God. The Jews took him before the Romans and said, hey, he's trying to start another kingdom. He is claiming to be a king. Why don't you kill him for us? The Romans thought he was pretty innocent enough. And so they actually beat him first. They tried to get him to recant. They flogged him to death. In the Journal of the American Medical Association a couple decades ago, they looked at the medical, the medical reasoning behind whether or not Jesus actually died on the cross. Because some people believe that Jesus was seen walking around after he was crucified because he had actually fainted on the cross and then he was resuscitated. So the Journal of the American Medical Association took a medical look at would it be possible to undergo what he had undergone and not die? And they concluded it would be impossible. Anybody would die when they experienced what he experienced. First, what the Romans did is they, they flogged him. They took a cat of nine tails and they took in these, these, these leather strands, chunks of bone and wood and glass, this was from that journal, and came down on his back 39 times. 40, you would have been clinically dead, so they subtracted one and came down on his back 39 times, shredding, ripping apart his back, trying to get him to recant, and he wouldn't do it. Now, if he didn't recant, he could be loco, or it could be that he came with a mission. He came with a mission to love. And as if that wasn't bad enough, then he had to carry his own cross to his execution, being humiliated all the way, being spat on, being punched, being taunted, being clubbed. And they would bring the cross and they would lay it down on the ground and the person would lie on it. And then they would take nails through the wrists. Uh, it actually says in the Bible, took it through his hands, but actually that word in the original language could mean anywhere in this general region. It wouldn't have been through the hands because it would have just ripped out right through the tendons actually went into the wrist where it would have held. Talk about searing pain. This would have been like, you know, when you hit your funny bone, except your funny bone all over your whole body and it just doesn't go away and it's worse. Then they put two feet together and put on the bottom of the cross and they take a nail through both feet to save on metal. Six inch spike goes all the way through. 
And then as the subject is raised up, the cross is raised up and it's dropped into a hole. And when it's dropped into a hole, the jolt would dislocate every bone in the body. And then as the person was on the cross, people would be hurling insults at them, abusing them, laughing them. And in order to breathe, they would have to push up on the nails to exhale and then come back down, push up to exhale, all the while their back scraping up and down the cross. This is why uh, I, 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 you know, for me, I mean, you do whatever you want, that's fine, whatever it means to you, but for me, it's why I don't really get off on just having crosses everywhere. Uh, you know, this, this is an unbelievable act of love, but it's not something that I necessarily, you know, love. It's like I, I wouldn't wear an electric chair around my neck. I wouldn't put a, I, I wouldn't put a lethal injection syringe into my ear. I wouldn't hang a noose on my wall. I wouldn't have like firing gun rifles kind of in a It's a means of death. It's a means of execution. This is the bloodiest, most disgusting form of execution that ever happened. And it happened to the person in the ultimate name of love. Why is this happening? This is happening because of love. This is happening because of justice, the great transfer of all of my wrongs, all of my shortcomings, all of my problems, all of your problems, all of your short, or all of your sins, no matter what they are, are transferred, are shifted from us onto his back while his love is shifted from him onto us. And if he has sins, which any great teacher would, any great prophet would, but if he has sins, he's dying for himself. He can't satisfy our justice at all unless he's dying as an innocent man. This is part of the gospel, the good news. Jesus' righteousness for our unrighteousness. Jesus takes our sinfulness onto himself and puts his sinlessness onto us as a part of our identity. He resets love. This is before we ask for it. This is before we earn it. We never earn it. And to see how he acts in a loving manner transcends human comprehension. Let's take a look at this in John chapter 23 as he's being put up on the cross. It says this, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Excuse me? <laughs> Excuse me? Father, forgive them? Are you crazy? What kind of crazy lover are you? That no one's asking you for forgiveness. No one's coming to you saying, I'm sorry. This guy's being beaten. He's being humiliated. He's being taunted. And before anybody asks, and these people won't even ask, he's petitioning his father, the heavenly father, saying, I'm sorry. Forgive them. Would you forgive them for what kind of crazy love is this? This is the love that only God can know. This is the kind of love that only God can give. He resets love entirely. Brennan Manning, a former Catholic priest and now still a person that is about trying to help people understand the love of God, talks about the story when he was in the Korean War. And uh, he was in a foxhole and his friend Ray was eating a candy bar and a grenade got lobbed in. As he tells the story, Ray looked at him, throws the candy bar aside, jumps in the grenade, looks at him, winks, and it explodes and kills him instantly. Actually, Brennan Manning was originally Richie Manning. He takes on the name Brennan because it's his friend's last name, so he takes his name on and is known by Bre as Brennan Manning. And he decides to strike up a relationship with his family. 
with, uh, with his friend Ray's family. And he does. He actually comes to call his mother, who's an uh, Irish woman, uh, his second mother. And one day he's traveling to Chicago. He decides to divert his plans and go and visit his mother, his second mother. And he's been struggling, he says, with the difficulty of wondering why it is that Ray did what he did. Was it valor? Was it a feeling like he had to do this? Did he know what he was doing? Did he really care about him? Did he, did he love him or not? And he, he, and he asked his second mother, he said, who, he said, did Ray, do you think, did he love me? And his mother all of a sudden got very angry and she said, get out. Get out right now. I said, what? What do I do? He said, how dare you ask me if my son loved you. He gave his life for you. What more could he have done? And yet we wonder, man, does God love me? And God says, I gave my life for you. I, I gave my son for you. What more could I have done for you? This is how we know what love is. That Jesus laid down his life for us and prayed and petitioned, God, forgive them, receive them into the family. My, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine this last week, and he said, um, he said that uh, as a form of punishment, his mother used to tell him that she was going to drop him off at the orphanage. <laughs> and it was kind of funny at first, but then you think about it, it's like, ooh, that's not very funny. When I, when I tell people I'm adopted, I think people oftentimes think of that. They think of, oh, this was something really awful, and poor you, poor you. Um, it's not the way I feel, but I can understand it, especially when he tells me a story about how his mother, they watched little Annie, orphan Annie, and uh, he was really freaked out about the orphanage thing, so his mother decided to, to, to tell him that if he was bad, she was going to drop him off at the orphanage. And she would go as far to, to tell him, that's it, I'm dropping you off at the orphanage, you're going to have to be adopted by somebody, to actually drive him to an orphanage make him get out of the car in the front steps, and then she would drive and leave him. <laughs> Some of you parents are going, ooh, that's a good idea. I gotta have that. <laughs> oh. And then she would come back maybe hours later, an hour later or so, to pick him back up. Oh. I'm old enough now to remember old Disney movies. Half of you probably haven't even seen. You remember Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? <laughs> make sure you say that right, because if you say that wrong, that could really get you in trouble. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> In that thing, they got the, the kid catcher. And this guy goes around and puts nooses on kids' necks and catches them and takes them to the orphanage. And uh, when, when many of us think of adoption, we think of those kind of images. Uh, that's not the kind of image I think of. I think of. I think of somebody as an act of love coming for me and giving me opportunities and giving me blessings I wouldn't have had otherwise. And this image of adoption is another image that God uses for how he loves us in the Bible. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says this. The spirit you received, if you decide to become a child of God, if you decide to receive Jesus, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Adoption in the first century was something that would happen when somebody who was very rich and had a lot of money would actually go and get somebody who was of high character, who was an adult, to adopt them into their family and make them an heir. Make them an heir because they didn't have any 
eldest sons or didn't have any siblings. And therefore, when they died, they would pass it on. That's why he calls it sons, the spirit of sonship. Because in that society, it was only the eldest sons that really were esteemed. It's saying no matter what you are, no matter what your gender, you are like an eldest son who gets all of the blessings of being in the family. That's what it was like to be adopted. And God says, when you receive me, you get adopted into my family. You become a co-heir with Jesus. And you not only attain blessings and love in the immediate, but you also have promises and things that are awaiting for you because you were adopted into the family. Another form of, 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 of beautiful love. We're going to take a look at a story of somebody in our community who's come to wrestle with that in her own life. And while we do, I'll let you know we're going to have some uh, volunteers that are going to come down and have a time to be generous, which is, can also be an act of love. So if you want to be generous giving the things around here and the things that are happening across the globe, great. If you're newer, no worries. We just want to love on you. Glad you're here. Just let that bag pass you by as we take a look at this story. I had a grandson and he was very, very dear to me. And he was born with three different things wrong with his heart. And when he was eight weeks old, he had surgery and he did well. But he had a serious problem. And when he was 14 months old, he had to have surgery, a big surgery. And he did not do well from that surgery. He died one month after the surgery. So I was so angry. I could not believe that God would take him. I mean, he's a baby. I just, I could not believe it. And I was just incredibly, incredibly angry. So I drifted even further away. And the sad part about this is that I had children then, and I really was not allowing them to see that Jesus needs to be, you know, the number one person in your life because I was not living that way. I didn't believe it. I wasn't living it. But three years have gone by, my grandson's dead, and I still have not come to grips with that. And one day, I was just so overwhelmed with grief. I did not hear this audibly, but in my spirit, right here, I heard... He is with me. And the only way you will ever see him again is if you fix your relationship with me. From that moment on, I started searching for Jesus myself. And I said, I don't know you're there. I don't know you're, I don't know anything because I was raised this way, but I don't really know this for myself. I have lots of questions, I have lots of doubts, and you're gonna have to show me. And I started seeking him for myself. I slowly came to understand what he did for me. And not only did I understand that, but I now know that he would have done that if I was the only one. He still would have done that for me. And anytime things are going badly and I'm thinking, woe is me, I think about the cross. I think about that and it puts everything into perspective. Today, I have a relationship with Jesus. He is the most important person in my life. And I try every day, I don't make it, but I try to honor him. I try to have my life 
honor him because he is the most important person in my life. Take out this little piece of paper right now if you haven't caught the bird flu. We're going to take that out right now. You can open those up if you want. What you have right here is uh, an adoption certificate. There's actually two of them. Uh, this will be a helpful, helpful time to mark the moment for some of us. This, for some of us, will be something for us to store away and consider doing some other day. Um, but what we're going to do in a little bit is um, you're going to be able to turn in an adoption certificate, put your name down, today's date, put a thumbprint on there, and also keep a copy for yourself. Adoption is an unbelievable act of love. I'm meeting more and more people that are adopting. And God adopts. God wants to adopt us into his family. He loves us and values us no matter what decision we make. But there's a whole new level of receiving, a whole new level of, of, of connecting when we get adopted into his family. And I'm meeting more and more people that are doing this, actually going great distances at great expense to adopt someone into their family. I'm meeting people who are doing this for children all over the world and children in Cincinnati. One, one story that I know is a friend of mine actually went to the Ukraine to adopt they actually had this girl for some, somehow she had, they had this girl that was in their midst here in the States, but she had to go back. And as she went back, she was not agreeing to adoption, but they felt that they should, could still be able to adopt her, even though she was in this orphanage and was unsure about it. So what they did is they went to the Ukraine, they strapped, they had to strap $30,000 in unmarked $20 bills all over their body in order to pay for bribes and fees and all kinds of stuff to go not even sure that this girl would, uh, would actually say yes. This is what God, God does for us. He goes through great distances at great expense to adopt you and I. The distance from heaven to earth, the expense of his son. How do you know what something's worth? It's whatever someone's willing to pay for it. That's how you know. How do you know what your house is worth? It's very simple. What would somebody pay for your house? That's all. It doesn't matter what's on the auditor website. It matters. What would somebody pay for your house? That says what your house is worth. What are you worth? It's whatever God would pay for you. And what he pays for you and I is Jesus. That's your worth. The price that he's paid, that he's gone an untold distance for, an unbelievable outlay of cash, is his son. Perfect love. And as they brought this girl into the courtroom because she decided that she was going to be adopted, but they had to formalize it for justice to be served in the midst of the courtroom with a, with a, with a panel. They asked her these questions in Ukrainian. They asked her, do you understand that you're leaving your country, family, and friends forever? And when you get adopted in, into, into Jesus' family, it's not that you're leaving or dissing anybody else, but you're doing is pledging primary allegiance to him not trying to keep dual citizenship. They also asked her, uh, are you okay with that? I asked her, why do you want to be adopted by this family? What might you answer to these questions or God to ask you these? They asked her, how well do you communicate? Do you understand what they're saying? You don't have to understand everything about the Bible, everything about Jesus to be adopted and want to receive that. You don't at all. In fact, uh, you, this has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to make 
a commitment to a, a church or whether or not you're going to vote a certain way or do this. That has nothing. Those things are things that you can figure out later on. This is merely an entrance in the family. How well do you, do you understand this baseline of love and receiving of it? Did anyone coerce you into wanting you to be adopted? We're going to do an exercise in a moment. If you want to do it, great. We don't any, want anyone to ever feel coerced or obligated to do things like this around here. And finally, do you want to be adopted by this family? If you're going to want to be adopted, if you've never been adopted, or if you have been adopted, but you want to just re-cement yourself, the yes, God, you're my primary allegiance, and I want to be adopted, what you're going to be able to do is just buy, borrow a pen from somebody yourself, put your name there, put the, put the date on it, and then we're going to have you do something else with that thumbprint. But I'll just ask you these questions right now. And the quietness of your own heart, or you can mumble, answer them yourself. Because I think these are very similar to the kind of questions God would ask you and me right now. Do you understand you're leaving your country, family, and friends forever, that the primary relationship will be that of Jesus? Are you okay with that? Why do you want to be adopted into his family? How well do you communicate? Do you understand what this crazy person on stage is saying? What's in the Bible? Did anyone coerce you into wanting to be adopted? Do you want to be adopted into the family of God? God, I'm praying that uh, you continue to reveal yourself right now as we consider these questions as we consider your love, your unsurpassable love in which you communicate unsurpassable worth to us, as we consider the amazing, amazing sacrifice that Jesus underwent, we're just asking you to continue to reveal yourself. You have revealed yourself physically 2,009 years ago or so. You have. You have revealed love, but we're asking even for more, more of you prompting, more of you helping us to understand who you are and who we are in response would you reveal yourself? Who won my heart 
knows my name So if you light a shining On this path before me If your truth can heal me Help me believe Reveal yourself Open his eyes to see you now Reveal yourself Let the changes come from the inside out Reveal yourself Open his eyes to see you now Reveal yourself Let the changes come from the inside out I can't stand another day of empty religion I can't let another moment slip by without meaning I'm tired of this mask the world makes me wear I throw it to the ground and breathe my first breath Reveal yourself Open these eyes to see you now Reveal yourself Let the changes come from the inside out Reveal yourself Unveil these eyes See you now Reveal yourself Let the changes come from the inside Reveal yourself Open these eyes to see you now Reveal yourself Let the changes come from the inside out So here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time uh, no need to uh, make a mad dash at once. We have plenty of time. But uh, so we continue having some songs and reflections up here, which you'll be able to do if you want to. If you want to mark a moment that you want to adopt, be adopted right now, or you want to remember and reclaim the fact that you have been adopted, you're going to be able to go to tables all on the back of every level, those tables there. And also here, we'll be able to take three at a time up here. And you'll be able to go take your thumb and an ink, and you'll ink yourself as your new identity and come and ink yourself here. You'll leave one copy behind, and we're going to do something with it, and then you're going to keep that for yourself. We had a woman yesterday who was kind of just coming unglued. She said, last time I had my thumbprint taken was when I was arrested and put in jail. And so this sort of put a whole new meaning on it, that this is my identity, being adopted into a child and not having a criminal record. God, I pray uh, for many of us who are going to uh, go through this activity right now, uh, this just cements in our minds that we want to be cemented in your family. Would you receive 
Receive all those who are choosing to receive right now into your family. Lead us right now. Tables are open.